Good morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 for the most of our time together. I'm hoping you didn't mind. I got a buddy who's driving back from Dallas this morning with a van load full of kids. And uh, so I invite him to join us via Zoom. So hopefully that's all right. So, Will, how you doing? Hope you're doing all right. Um, and obviously, a van full of kids, you probably need to be praying for him. So we'll add you to the prayer list as well. But uh, we'll be in Acts 17 and talking about and kind of using some of Jesus' words uh, from the Sermon on the Mount and kind of framing this story about the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul, I, back in the summer, I, I read a book about uh, the life of Paul, a biography, and, and there's just some neat things in there I'd never thought about. Um, we know that from his own writings, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, he was very well educated. And uh, some of the things, and I believe I preached about this in the last few months, the idea of spirit and truth. You know, a lot of times we read things in the New Testament and we're like, man, that's a kind of a new thing with Christianity. And really it's not. It's something that everyone, when Jesus used them, everybody would have been like, oh, I get what he's saying. I've heard that all of my life, much like we now have the benefit of. Uh, talking about the songs that we sing, I've heard that song all my life. We've sang that all my life. But it's amazing how often the Holy Spirit and in, in, in Jesus, especially the Gospels, can take something that they had heard all their life and all of a sudden open up a new idea or understanding of it. And Spirit and Truth is one of those that we sometimes think about, that discussion with the, the woman at the well that, uh, you know, you guys worship in the temple and we worship in the mountain. And Jesus says there's coming a day where you won't have to go to those places to worship. You'll worship in spirit and truth. You'll worship where your feet are and how you treat one another. That idea of spirit and truth is not a new thing. In, in the book about Paul that I read, uh, it discussed the idea of spirit and truth that as a young boy or living in Tarsus, he was not near the temple. And so the way in which they could kind of transpose themselves, if I can use that word, correctly to the temple was to meditate scripture and so the idea of spirit and truth would have had that idea that i can i may not be there physically but i'm able to move myself and so jesus is taking that and saying you're going to worship in spirit and truth as in the temple is going to come to you and indwell you with this spirit and so wherever you find yourself you're able to do that and so the writer of the book, N.T. Wright, goes ahead and says, I, you know, I think that Paul was meditating Ezekiel. And one of the, the, the passages there is this idea of the temple. And it's almost like a ladder that you're climbing. And as you get to the top, there's a bright light that appears, and that is the presence of God. And he believes that Paul was meditating those texts when he was blinded by the Lord. Because you see his response, Lord... What's going on, basically? And so, man, the timing there, that would be awesome if that's the case. That's all conjecture. We don't know that. But it certainly would have been one of the passages that he would have been familiar with. And so this idea of spirit and truth and teaching is not a new thing to them. It's, it's a constant, but it's just a new idea, a new take on it, if you will. And so in Acts 17, we see that play out. But first of all, I want to remind us of the purpose of Jesus coming to this world. 
He tells us in Luke 19.10, his goal was to seek and save that which is lost. We've talked about the understanding of being lost is very difficult. We think of the idea of a GPS. Now we have that on our phone. But prior to that, it was difficult to mention that I don't know where I'm going to stop, especially for us gentlemen, right, to stop and ask directions was not something we wanted to do. But it takes coming to an understanding. I am lost when the prodigal son came to himself and realized slaves are treated better in my father's house than I am getting treated, I will go back and maybe he'll let me be that. But when he returns, what is it? It's, it's the royal treatment. It's a party. You are my son. You're still my son. And the things that you've done doesn't change that. What an amazing thought that is. Mark 10, 45, he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. For many. Really, we know he gave his ransom for anyone who would acknowledge that they're lost and turn to him. See, there again, we see what little we actually bring to the table. It's really an understanding of where we actually are to see his perspective. And then John 10.10, he came to give life and life abundant. We understand our part of the process is to acknowledge we're lost, turn to him, and then tell others how to get there. We're really just signposts, right? We're just really the ones who point through the fog and go, here are the, the ways to Jesus. Here is the way to the Father, that being through Jesus. They wanted people to become a child of God and to act like a child of God. Now, what's the amazing thing is, is we understand that acting like a child of God is not perfection. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's admitting imperfection. Once again, that idea of lost. I love 1 John chapter 1 where he says walking in the light is admitting that you fail, which really, when we think about it, should be one of the easiest things that we do. Hopefully, every time I preach, you get to hear about how I fail to miss it. It really is my therapeutic you know, uh, thing that I get up here. It's like, hey, I messed it up this week. But we have a Lord. We have a Savior. We have a, a Jesus that there is no condemnation in. And so if there's no condemnation, as it says at the end of Romans 8, from the guy who has all the evidence to condemn, then why do we walk around in self-condemnation? I think so much of the Spirit is arguing with us, hey, listen, God's forgot all that. Don't condemn yourself. Yes, there's things to clean up, but the Holy Spirit is the one who will reveal that. Not your own demons, not your own voice. It says the anger of God does not produce what God would have us to do. We can be angry. In fact, we kind of have a direct command to be angry about the things that anger God. But the other part of that is, is do not sin. Do not sin. So we're being molded into the image of God. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs or cast pearls before swine. Now you have to understand that in this day and age, dogs were not the dogs that we have today, right? Uh, you know, sometimes I think our dog at my house gets treated better than I do, right? Uh, there's sometimes that, that they, they're getting, they, he gets to eat, get a little snack, you know, and I'm like, man, I'd like a snack. Maybe not the snack he's got or she's got. But it's not that way. In Jesus' day, these were scavengers. You know, they were more like the coyotes, and they would eat everything and anything, much like today, but... Uh, just not as clean as we keep them, hopefully. Uh, and so understand that. He's saying don't give the things that are set apart 
to the dogs. And do not cast your pearls before swine. That makes that triggers a little more with us. We we kind of understand the idea of giving nice things to a pig. Right? We've heard the putting lipstick on a pig and, and those kind of ideas. Uh, and so a pig was disgusting. It would have turned their stomach to even think about pork. I mean, they wouldn't even get, think about eating a pig, much less being around one or giving it something that was of value. You know, it's that idea of understanding, you know, you you put things up. I've got several things at my house that are really high up. Why? Because I've got these munchkins that run around that if they can get their hands on it, they will put their hands on it. And there are certain things that they don't need to touch for their own well-being, right? For their own safety. They don't know how to handle those things. So, you know, there is an aspect of there comes a point where you have to dust your feet off and move on. He says that in Matthew ten fourteen, to when you come to this town and they reject you, there is a time and place where you dust your feet off. You've done everything that you can do to reach them, and they've rejected it. And it's okay to move on. In fact, we see Paul do that in the book of Acts. Quite literally, they shake the dust off of their feet and they move on. There is a time and place, and sometimes it gets to the point where we no longer is not beneficial for our mental health and well being. In the situation, maybe we get frustrated and we get mad. I think of uh, the Sons of Thunder, right? That they they get to the point where they're upset, and it's okay to be upset. He's not, you know, reprimanding the idea of anger. It was what they wanted to do with that anger that was the issue, and that they wanted to call down fire. Sometimes it's with my anger I say the thing that I don't need to say when I should just exit, <laughs> find a way to leave and go, okay, it's someone else's turn. I'm tagging out this person. And the amazing thing is, and, and as a coach, I used to hear this, will you tell them this? Because they, they don't listen to me. And it was weird because I could say it and it was like, okay, yeah, that's true. That's right, you know. And so even as a parent, there's a time where they have to hear it from somebody else. I've had players where, you know, I coached them till I couldn't coach them no more and I'd hand them over. Hey, you're going to coach him from now on. He is your pet, right? He's tired of hearing of me. I'm tired of hearing from him. And it wasn't giving up because God doesn't, you know, there's a 24-7. It's just I've reached my limit of my ability to reach you. Yes, there is a point where God says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm letting you over. I'm going to let you make your decision and turn you over to those points. But as long as there's breath, as long as we're alive, there's an opportunity to turn to Him. And so what does it mean that uh, dogs are not pets for them. This is not what it understand, and a pig is not something to give your value. I've oftentimes preached this sermon about our time. You know, we have a great, at least when I was growing up, there was a great movement for one church to police another church and, and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. And if not, we'll add them to some imaginary list that we won't have anything to do with those people. And I think that's exactly what he's talking about because the previous verse, he talks about judgment, right? Do not judge, lest you be judged. You, you don't have that type of authority. It's really important to remember that. I don't know that I've worked many churches where the shepherds would go up and say, we request, we ask. You know, there's a lot of telling that, hey, we're going to tell you what to do. And so it's a tremendous, awesome, loving thing that... Hey, out of the goodness of your heart and your love for your fellow man, we ask that you do this, even though a lot of times there's a direct command that they could, you know, hammer you with. 
And so it's a tremendous blessing to see that patience play out. In Acts chapter 17, which I did say would be our crux text uh, this morning, if you'll notice in verses 16 through 34, and I challenge you to read those. We're not going to read all of it. But understand that when he preaches this sermon, he doesn't use Scripture. He does not quote Scripture. In fact, he uses their own poets, their own culture to reach them. And I think that was something that Paul was uniquely qualified to do. But it also showed his intentionality, the filters that he saw life through. I will say that I am guilty from time to time of riding around in the car, coming back from Huntsville and thinking of illustrations uh, for Sunday or whatever lesson that I've got coming up or you know, this week in, in our Christian leadership class, uh, or maybe it was last week, one of the students was like, Coach, you've got an illustration for everything. And I said, well, it's amazing what happens when, A, you've been in it for 20-something years. We won't get the specific number. And, B, you, you're riding around looking for them. And uh, there they are. And so a lot of people, oh, I just don't think I could ever preach. I'm like, well, if you put your mind to it, you could. You know, and, and honestly... That's where it comes from. We all have a story to tell. If you're a Christian and you've come to know Jesus, you've got a story to tell. And nine times out of ten, someone's more interested in hearing the story that you have to tell about your own way to Christ than any scripture. And I know that sounds weird, uh, but we live in a more and more secular society. And the more we get there, the more we're like Acts chapter 17. How I want to hear more about what he's done in your life. Most of us in this country have a Bible. We can read it. Many of them may be collecting dust. But when we begin to tell our story, man, it can pique people's interest. And you may be sitting there going, I've got the boring, most boring story there is. And that's just not true. It's not true because Jesus is the author of your story. He, he's the author and the finisher of that story. And so notice that he talks about resurrection. We're going to pick up in chapter 17 and we'll look at verse 22, although there is some wonderful, interesting things, he's able to have conversation there uh, in verse 17 and 18 with the Epicureans and the Stoics. What does that mean? He could hold his own. Uh, he was not intimidated by their thoughts and these different groups of people because his foundation was what? It was Jesus. And Jesus is, uh, uh, there's this uh, video out there of Bruce Lee describing his approach, his philosophy uh, on, uh, I guess, martial arts and really life in general. And he, he goes into this idea of water and how it is moldable and it changes to whatever, uh, you know, thing it's in. But it can be, you know, devastating. Enough water moving in a direction can be devastating, but it also can carry on big ships. And he says, be water, my friends, be water. And uh, there may not be anybody who illustrates that better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He created it all. He's relevant. Can't tell you how long I've been teaching, and I'll get emails from time to time. You know, you're, you're the Bible teacher. You know, you shouldn't be talking about modern events or things that are going on. I'm like, hate to tell you, but uh, God is relevant in all of it because He is the Creator, capital C. And so that's what I'm here to do is connect everything back to God. And to show the illustration there that his hand is involved. And so we jump here, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, 
I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now, if you are just doing a uh, study uh, on speaking, that's pretty good, right? I mean, if it stopped right there, you've hooked them. You've hooked them. And it helps that he's among people who like to talk about nonsense. Any kind of new thing they can talk about, they wanted it. At Freed Hardeman, we had professors who called this bull knocking, which basically means you got two Bible majors in a room and they're just bouncing nonsense off of each other. Well, what could this possibly mean? And it could go on for hours. And it was wonderful. It was great. Most everybody else would probably think, man, I, I'd rather watch paint dry. But it was great conversation. It was wonderful. And most of the time, there was no conclusion. And so when he comes in and says, hey, I'm going to. This, this thing that you guys don't know anything about, but just in case you miss somebody, well, let me tell you something. You miss somebody, and I'm here to tell you about it. Oh, it's just beautiful, beautiful. Painting a beautiful picture. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Think about another hook. and How, how did they worship God's temple? How did the Jews worship God? The temple. He says, there's a God that's not bound. They had different gods for every city. It was like a mascot. And so they're out there somewhere, but you worship them at the temple. We, we set our pride on our awesome, magnificent temple. And here Paul goes, hey, all this stuff, it's beautiful. A lot of it you can go see today in ruins. In ruins. They all have an expiration date. There's going to be a God who returns one day, and all of that's going to be gone. Let me tell you about Him, the one who's not bound. There are times where I would love for a God, as oftentimes He is represented, that stays at the church building. Sit, boo-boo, over here. And at the end of the day, I'd much rather have a God who's not bound by anybody, who's not defeated, who is undefeated, and will always be. As much as sometimes I'd like for him to leave me alone, he loves me too much to do that. And so we see here that some believed. Some believed. For those of you that like to keep up with your little uh, outline there and the sheets that are provided, some believed. We see that some immediately, I believe in what you're saying. What's next? What's next? I like that attitude, and I think that a lot of times we as Christians, we believe, we do the steps, we get into Jesus, but then we stop asking the question, what's next? What else would you have me to do? Here am I. Send me. Because there's a lot out there. There's enough in the Scriptures, and certainly when you add the Holy Spirit into it, there's enough out there to keep us busy. There's enough trouble for today. There's enough people out there to love and pour into that we really have very little to worry about when it comes to the world because we're so busy doing those things. Some wanted further study. We'd like to hear you again. We'd like to hear you again. It's not a bad response, not an evil response, but it is a response. I think that sometimes we feel like we can put off things and we're really not responding, but we really are. When we talk to the God who created the universe, who does not play by our time, He's not on a schedule. You know, we've all got, well, you know, when this thing ends and then the next thing and the next thing, the next thing always cracks me up how many of my students want to know what time it is when all they're going to do is load up and go 
to the very next classroom and sat in there and wonder what time is it and then they're going to move on you know and it's interesting the older i get the more and more time in that aspect becomes less important and the time spent with people becomes invaluable what are we doing with the time that we have and so it is a response not yet the problem is we never know when our time is up. We never know when that sand runs out, but God does. And so anytime he urges us, there is or should be a level of urgency. And the worst thing that we sometimes tell ourselves is we've got plenty of time. There's no hurry. There's no hurry. When we come to the understanding of who God is, whether we're a Christian for 40 years or we're not one yet, now is the time. And then finally, we had some who wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Some of you may know people like that today. I just wrapped up reading a book and about a Civil War general. And I'll withhold the name not to offend Phil, but his, uh, his wife was Catholic. And she pestered him to no end to become a Catholic. And he was having nothing to do with it. His son ended up being a Catholic priest, and he contemplated writing him out of his will. That's how I'm telling you. He was staunch. No, I'm not going to be Catholic. Uh, when he died, he had a Catholic funeral. And to me, that was a great illustration of what Paul tells us in Philippians. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every person who said, I don't have anything to do with that, will one day have a lot to do with that. Because the God who created the universe has the final say on your eternal salvation. Now, the crazy thing about it is, is really, as I've heard it, he's only honoring your choice. Your choice. We have a God who created the universe, has all the evidence in the world to convict you and send you to hell. And what has he done? Everything but force you into heaven. And so the choice is yours. You, every time you hear the truth of God, and some of you have heard a lot of sermons. You've heard a lot of sermons, and maybe some of them challenge you, and maybe some of them are duds. And if you've been listening to me very long, you know some of them are duds. But the bottom line is every time the truth is preached, you have a decision to make. And it really isn't even three. They, they professed, oh, I want to hear more. And that was great. That's not a terrible response. But really their response was no, not today. So what's holding you back? Think about that. Make a list if you'd like. What's holding me back from doing what I know I should do? And then practice those lines as though you are in judgment. And you're standing before God. I don't know that's how that works. I don't even know if we'll get a chance to say anything. I kind of hope not because a lot of words, that's bad. But think about God hearing those excuses and how ridiculous they will sound in view of eternity. So if there's some way we can help you this morning, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. That's exactly what it's supposed to do, is to encourage you to realize that every voice that's singing those words at some point will confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, most of us in this room have already done that, and we've given our life to Him. And so when we sing, we join our voices together. That's what it's supposed to do, is encourage you to get a little closer to Him. We also have shared time. We're going to Pass around the microphone and you can share the things that you want to celebrate.
and we'll celebrate along with you. We'll, we'll mourn with you over the things that you're mourning. We'll uh, share with you in the things that you are consumed with this morning. And whatever it is, it's an opportunity that I hope that you take complete control and chance at and give us that opportunity. It's a great blessing to us to be able to pray over you. So if there is something we can do for you, why don't you come as we stand and sing?